sustainable sort of had this tarnished, dirty hippie vibe to it. Like, oh, you're going to wash my hair in hemp oil and I'm going to smell like patchouli and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the, not the case. Hi, I'm Al Shaybani and welcome to Good, Good, Great, the podcast where we talk to the people who are using their work to improve the world around them. In our first series, we delved into the fashion industry, and now in series two, we'll be diving into the world of beauty. Beauty is a broad term, but it normally involves products and experiences that we apply to our bodies. And at the fulcrum of those two things is hair. The number of hair products seems to be always growing. Sprays and gels and conditioners and shampoos and creams and waxes and mousses and the list goes on. And the experiences of hair also have a wide range, whether it's a quick cut or a full-day salon appointment. The world of hair is deeply personal and makes up a big part of how we define beauty. Today, I'll be speaking to Anita Rice about how she and Stephen Buller started up Buller and Rice. Buller and Rice is a hair salon over in Newington Green that is challenging the industry and the way we think about hair care. From the interior design all the way to the products, Anita and Steven have committed to growing a business that reduces waste, prioritizes sustainable practices, and at the same time, does not compromise on its luxury. They're pioneering how sustainability does not necessarily mean shabby chic. Originally from New Zealand, Anita is the type of person who is very animated when she's passionate. Someone whose positivity is unapologetic and infectious. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, it's Anita Rice from Buller and Rice Hair Salon. In my talk with her, we discuss how Buller and Rice is radically different from industry norms, and how she has built this luxury brand with heart and soul, from the big idea all the way to the tiny details. Uh, what is your background? Hair, 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 hair and hair. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't go beauty school dropout. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. someone asked me if I had a, a high school diploma. I, like, I don't know if they do that in New Zealand, but I definitely didn't finish. Okay. I think I, I, think I snuck out and did um, like what they call like uh, industry sort of schooling. So I started an apprenticeship like quite young, but was still considered like schooling. So, yeah, I'm like bordering on like 20 years of hairdressing <laughs> and nothing else. Nothing. <laughs> cool. What, what do you think it is about hair? That draws me that to draws it? That draws you to it, um, yeah. I'm quite a creative, hands-on person. Um, like never been interested in any form of like academia. Uh, I've always liked to work with my hands, anything arty, anything painty, you know. I would always much rather be outside painting a fence than what I would be playing on a computer or anything like that. Okay, nice. Uh, where does the story of Buller and Rice begin? So originally it started uh, 2016, a salon in Shoreditch called Ralph and Rice, which was with a slightly different business partner who didn't have a similar background as to what Stephen and I do. That person worked more into like a product and that sort of side of things, which I thought would have been a really amazing um, to sort of help me out with and something that I was maybe not as focused in or like was going to look after the business side of things and I could concentrate on the hair and that sort of thing. And as time went on, I realised that 
I picked up a lot more responsibility as far as uh, the business side of things and what I wanted to do with that and the ethos that I wanted to carry was much, much sort of more present. And yeah, the former business partner wasn't really that interested in in the growth of what we were doing. Uh, Halfway through, maybe about a year and a half after opening that salon, I was offered another space in Newington Green. And the only way that I was able to do it was if I had uh, another hairdresser with me so that I could split my time half and half. And I needed somebody that was reliable and that was creative like me, that could be the other half of me when I wasn't present. And the only way I could have done the two spaces was by having this other person that held the same skills as I did when I was absent. And that was Stephen. And I just took him to the space one day. He brought his dog. We were looking around. I was like, what do you think? And he was like, what do you mean what do I think? Yeah, it's cool. And I'm like, want to open a salon? He was like, what? And I was like, you got a week. And then I got to say yes or no. It's a very intense week for Stephen, but he said yes, and it's been bliss ever since. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing! You know the the Buller and Rice salon concept and, and and pushing it in the sustainability responsibility. It's quite a foreign concept for me within that industry. Yeah, of course. Back in 2016, this isn't that long ago, but there wasn't anybody really around talking about this or mm. or building the bridge between luxury and sustainable. Sustainable sort of had this tarnished, you know, dirty hippie vibe to it. Like, oh, you're going to wash my hair in hemp oil and I'm going to smell like patchouli and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the, not the case. <laughs> you can have like these gorgeous, amazing products on service that can be, you know, you could be completely unaware that the service that you're receiving is done from a responsible background. It doesn't need to be necessarily the forefront of our client's mind, but hopefully... You know, sometimes they come just for purely to come and have a nice haircut. Some come find us, especially because we've because we've made those decisions for them before they even come in. So what at the beginning, what made you feel like you needed to start Buller and Rice and that specialization, um, if I can call it that? Yeah, I don't know. I come from a very business based background. My dad's always had his own business and I've always had this like unusually strong entrepreneurial streak and... I think you're lucky that when you get to decide that you want to start a business, that's your time to decide how you want your business to be and what values you want it to have and what ethos you want it to have and what you want it to look like. Mm -hmm. You get to make all these decisions. And for me, so many people ask me, why did you want it to be sustainable? Why did you want it to do this? I didn't go into it thinking, I'm going to make a sustainable business. I went into it thinking, I'm going to talk about this a lot because I can make these decisions. And it's they're quite easy decisions to make, really. I mean, some, yeah, I mean, my accountant doesn't really like it. He thinks I waste way too much money on the wrong things, but that's where him and I are very different. <laughs> and I think if you, you know, it's like if you build it, they will come sort of philosophy. Mm-hmm. If you build something that you believe in and that you really have put your heart and soul in, people get that impression. People understand that that's, you know, they can tell that there's heart behind that. They can tell that there's, reason behind that they can you know you can see now that like all the companies greenwashing you know using these hub words which you know it's amazing that they're trying and trying to pitch to those sort of audiences or that they're trying to have that sort of relevancy run. yeah and I mean you know a lot of people get mad about it like oh they're just saying that they're this I'm like oh no it's good it's cool and you know we should be proud of us that that is something that now that they think about 
that's only happened in the last two years, which is like kind of sad. I mean, the amount of times that people want to talk to me now about sustainability and they come to me maybe because that I have got now four years of experience in, in creating a business around this, which, you know, leads to a lot of, you know, articles or uh, bits of press that people have looked up on and then they want to come and ask me my experience of it. And that's quite nice that we sort of not got in there early but have been talking this talk and walking this walk for, for quite some time. I mean, there's a few other people that are late to the party, but it's nice that they came. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We spoke to um, Tom Kay, who started the Finisterre brand, which is a clothing brand that has these values of sustainability at its very core. I think for someone who is buying clothes, that say they can have general understanding of what that means. For a hair salon, how is Buller and Rice different from your average salon? Uh, Look-wise, it's quite easy for me to answer. We've worked with some amazing people over the two, three salons. Um, we originally started when we were looking in 2016. There wasn't much choice really within like luxury looking surface materials made from recyclable or sustainable or circular products. We used cork for all our surfaces, which is an incredible, you know, bark. It doesn't harm the tree to be removed. It's, it's, it's an amazing sustainable product you know it's warm and it feels great so we had worked with a carpenter called Sarush he has Lozzy Designs on Hackney Road he's incredible in the way he cuts uh, purpose planted ply so like purpose planted birch which is all cut very like strategically so you never waste any wood and these are like trees that have been purposely planted to create furniture which is pretty cool mm. so we worked with him back then to and it was a lot of cork based uh, surfaces, and then we moved on to Newington Green, where things got way more interesting. A whole year and a half later, and again working with Saroosh, we came up with the idea of using Smile Plastics for our surfaces downstairs, which is um, 100% melted yogurt pots made into this incredible terrazzo pastel surface that looks like gorgeous stoneware, but it's just 100% recycled plastic which is, you know, incredible. And uh, upstairs we have something called a biolaminate, which is this amazing business plan, actually. The guy just goes out, collects all this hay and cut grass for free, and then lays it and compresses it in a bioresin. So at glance, it looks like sort of a green hay-like texture. And then when you look up close, you can see the layers and layers of natural fibre and then all compressed in a bioresin. So... I mean, maybe you have to look a bit closely to see what <laughs> to see the steps we've taken in the salons. But these are cool talking points for our clients. And um, mm. as far as our product selection goes, we use all uh, completely ethically sourced, um, amazing products from an Italian company called Owe. Uh, they're the first and only biodynamic hair care line, which is all produced in glass bottles. All of their labelling and their packaging for their colours all made with a... Instead of using paper, they use like a compressed sugar waste extract, which is uh, basically a paper-like feel, but it's just a byproduct of something else. So it's a waste material, which they make their boxes from and everything, which is, again, something incredible. And because the bottles are glass, we encourage our clients to bring them back to us and we'll refill them from our larger size. They don't, they don't have to throw away their shampoo bottle or anything like that. They can bring it back. So yeah, on the website, it says you use biodynamic hair care. What does that mean? So biodynamic uh, is a traditional farming method 
that was invented by Rudolf Steiner. Um, you see it a lot in Italy around uh, wine. With a biodynamic farm, you have to fertilize every crop in the farm with only things from the farm. So it's a complete circular agriculture. Hmm. Uh, they use methods about rotating the crops with the moon cycle, which is, again, sounds extremely holistic, but it's just really traditional. People were planting things and they did loads of tests and they realized that the only difference was when they rotated the crops with the moon, they got better results. They would plant things alongside other plants so that they could feed from within the soil and produce the strongest plant, meaning that the extracts or the oils that you extract from it is going to be a lot stronger and higher in performance. And anything that's biodynamic has to be organic. Right. It's organic through and through. Through and through. Right. Completely circular. From a farm and they've taken nothing from anywhere else to produce these products. It's all completely done from within one source. They always have animals to fertilize the crops. They Mm. use different parts of the fields to rotate everything. Yeah, I think it takes about seven years to prep a farm minimum soil to be biodynamic. Okay, wow. Yeah, wow. It's a big commitment. It's it's full on. Stephen said that sustainable is a lot about going back to the basics while moving forwards at the same time. Yes. (laughs) How does that... Apply? Apply to your practice. If you think about the refilling of the shampoo... I think it's that those sort of stripping back to taking away from convenience so much. We rely on so much convenience and speediness, especially here. But, you know, it's the small changes and stripping all that back. How is it taken up by sort of your audience and your people? I would say in the last six months, people are coming to us, especially because of our ethos and because of the way we the decisions we've made amongst our business. Maybe at the start, we had a few that would, you know, they'll travel quite far to come and see us. Hmm. But then we, back then we were starting a conversation. So I think the responsibility and sustainability conversation is quite big within the fashion industry, the clothing industry, yeah, food packaging. Yeah. Where is it at in the self-care, beauty, hair I think it's salon? new, it's newer. I mean, food, food and drink always lead the way. They do. They they will always lead the way. It is something that we all need, and that we all want, and that we all have daily. Uh, in lifestyle and self care, I think we've got a long way to go in, in every aspect of everything. But it's about good good products. However you feel about something that's whatever percent of natural it is, it's not really going to be as important as whether it was ethically sourced and whether it's coming from a sustainable background. For me, anyway. Hmm. You know, a lot of people get that confused, natural, sustainable. Those are two, those are two very different things. <laughs> right. And something that is natural, if it's been, you know, palm oil, that's a big one. Palm oils and food, they use it a lot in products, a lot in skincare. It's got a really bad rep because someone made a, you know, a documentary about the orangutans losing all their homes, which is terrible. And there is like huge parts of Indonesia that have just been plowed down for this palm oil. But Palm oil, as as a substance, is an incredible, incredible oil. It's cheap. It's fast growing. Mm. It you know you can extract a huge amount of it from a, from not a huge amount of palms, if you will. Mm. And there are sustainable palm oil companies now. Mm. Maybe that's better than using caraway oil. I don't know. Like, yeah, or synthetic. Yeah, thing synthetic. Yeah. I feel bad for palm oil. It's 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 it's, it's like bamboo. You know, it's fast growing. It's an amazing 
substance, but it's about checking whether I think there's a committee it's called the Round the Round Table of Sustainable Palm Oil. Wow, okay, true story. I mean, it's it's got a bad rep, so <laughs> I feel like they've got need a, a rebrand. Now. They've got a table now. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I think generally, do you find that people care about these sorts of things when they're talking to you, or is it a very subset, small subset of people? Is it you know they care that it's natural, they care that it's sustainable sources, or is it one in a million? Uh, no, it's definitely not one in a million. I would say it's above fifty percent of no. our of our audience anyway, and our our clientele. But we've again, you know, we marketed ourselves as doing this, you know. So we we will always bring in people with that at the forefront of their mind, and our clients, if that is important to them, then they they're going to seek out someone that provides that. Right. You know, you if you if you find that important, then you're going to find somewhere that offers that service to you. But no, it's. I mean, it's increased massively the amount of people that that talk about that now and that want to lower their plastic use. Okay. Shampoo bars is my usual conversation at the moment. Shampoo bars. Yeah. As in using the, yeah, the bar. That's a big thing. Yeah. Bigger than I thought that. it was actually. A lot of people are using shampoo bars. I've never used one, so I can't knock it. I haven't tried it. But what do you look for when you're choosing products? Oh, ethical and performance. Obviously, they have to ethical. perform. Okay. Yeah. It's a hard marriage that. Yes. You mentioned palm oil. Yeah. <laughs> but what's the strangest ingredient that you find is actually really effective in hair care that you use that, you know, people either have a misconception or just don't know about it? We use a lot of quinoa for protein. Quinoa? Yeah, quinoa uh as in in shampoo. Yeah. Well, it's it's in the color actually. It's a protein backer. They used to have um, milk uh, proteins and they decided to go vegan. So they went on to ethically sourced quinoa. And I think now we'll be using a different color range that actually has sage. And that's for elasticity and shine. So it's kind of weird. We have a lot of colors that are made from 100% vegetable extracts and um, flowers. You get chamomile flowers blue, so you get blue. (laughs) It's not so much that they're natural products, but it's what they turn into, how they go through their extraction and what we can get from mm-hmm. them to make what you can. And weirdly, those crazy sort of bright, bright, bright colours are from something that's 100% natural. And we use St. John's Wort in a lot of the products for shine. A lot of nuts, but nuts is kind of an easy going, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nuts, they're old school. Everyone uses nuts. <laughs> um, and in terms of that sort of approach, what do you think is the biggest change that the industry can do to become more sustainable or aligned to what the values that you have you know what is i guess educate the consumer and our consumer uh, is the public our jobs as 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 professionals in the industry could pick smaller companies uh to use yeah do you do you see the industry changing do you see yeah. them becoming more responsible yeah. so the bigger they are Hmm. the harder it is to change anything and the less change we'll see from from huge companies. And again, like like you said about, you know, a business trying to change, if they're smaller, it's a little bit easier because you're not carrying huge stock, you're not carrying huge staff. Yeah, You can, you know, you've got some advantages to being the small guy. You can make small changes easier. Large companies can't make small changes easy. So in that way, the the way that the industry is changing, is that pressure coming from consumers trying to pressure the companies 
Because it doesn't sound like I it's internally so. that the big companies are saying, or is the pressure coming from the small players saying, yeah. hey, we're doing this differently. Yeah, and they're losing, they're losing numbers because the small guys are all like, hey, we're going to do this. And then everyone's like, yeah, cool, I want to go with that guy yeah. on the small boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think it's a bit of both. Or they, you know, the conversation's so present right now that they want to be seen as green. They want to be seen as sustainable. They want to be seen as doing their bit, which is probably their first problem. Don't, yeah. don't try and be seen, just do. <laughs> and then, and then it will come through later. Yeah. Who are uh, inspirations for you, either in the industry or in other industries that you think, those guys are doing cool, Yeah, props to them? Industry-wise, I mean, we're lucky we have the option now to do the things that we want to do because, again, even four years ago, that was quite small. Hmm. You know, we didn't have recyclable towels like we do now. Mm. That are, uh, we didn't, you know, eco heads, which is the shower head that saves a third of your water. We didn't have those. We have them now. We have a choice of products that is ethical and sustainable. We started with one that was in reusable plastic and completely recycled plastic, and we prompt on people refilling that plastic. But now we've gone away from that, right. and now we're in glass which, right. you know, the downside being that glass is heavy and a little bit annoying to bring back when you want to refill it because it gets quite heavy, but hey-ho. I think that's what I wanted to ask is, is actually the association of being responsible as a business, environmentally friendly, ethically sourced, luxury, <laughs> seem to sit in opposite, yeah, but they, they do. don't and overlap. I mean, it's, um, yeah, they do, and, um, but they're not. No. You know, I think you're, you're you're saying they can be one and the same. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exclusivity is now luxury. You know, small batch. These things are now taking over, mm. which is cool. You know, which which I've always been a sucker for. You say small batch, I'm in. <laughs> small batch gin, I'm done. Special <laughs> edition, yeah, yeah. anything. <laughs> is that feeling and it, and it is it's all about your subconscious really mm-hmm. I mean you might make these conscious decisions to like lower this and do this and tra la la and it might not look that glamorous but you know it's about about a feeling whereas now you're like I'm proud of myself because I've earned this mm. and it's different it's less showy it's more personal in yeah. a way I like it cool I think that's everything uh, thank you cool Anita. No. was that good? that was great yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that was awesome good conversation What I love about Anita is that her determination and beliefs come through in every single detail of her work. Things like eliminating the use of plastic bottles or deep diving into biodynamic products and ethically sourced products is not easy. It requires research and due diligence and a lot of effort to make it financially viable as a brand. But what Anita shows is that when building something you believe in, When the ethos of the business aligns with your internal compass, it starts to work and it starts to become magnetic. Buller and Rice now has a following and a fan base, people who are seeking it out because of its responsible practices. As Anita mentioned, other industries like food and drink or fashion have had the conversation around sustainability for longer, but it doesn't mean there aren't leaders like Anita and Steven in the hair care and the beauty industry. You can visit bullerandrice.com to find out more about their products and what their biodynamic hair care involves. A massive thank you to Hugo and the team at The Fisheries for hosting us. Thank you to Anita for her wisdom and her laughs. And thank you to Dave Williams, Hallie Husted, Pro Constantinou, Ruth Steen, and Ben Siri for making Good Good Great possible. Follow Good Good Great on Spotify or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>